Thank you, Amanda. Good morning, everyone. I, I think everyone here knows me, but just in case you don't, as a reminder, my name is, is Aaron Mason. Uh, I've been attending here about seven years now, and I, I was honored to be baptized by Sam five years or so ago, right there in our little baptismal on stage. So um, before I get started, I'll just uh, ask you to join me in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us a chance to gather together to worship you once again. I thank you for your word that guides us, teaches us, and changes us for the better. Thank you for your mercy and, and grace, and for providing us a means to restore our relationship with you through the work of Jesus on the cross. I pray that you would open our hearts to your will, Lord, and personally, I pray that, pray that you would guide my thoughts um, and words this day, and don't let me screw this up. In Jesus' name, amen. For those who don't know, it's my first day preaching ever, uh, first sermon I ever wrote, so keep your expectations low and you'll be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> um, uh, before I get started with the message, I, I did want to take this opportunity to thank everyone here, all the people that call Alliance Bible home. Um, I didn't grow up in a, a church family, we, we, we didn't go to church, we didn't really discuss spiritual things, but God was still working in my life. Uh, through some friends of family and a, a high school girlfriend. I, I got to attend dozens of services at a handful of different churches. And I can honestly say, uh, walking into Alliance, uh, you guys are head and shoulders above churches. There are so many people here just filled with the Holy Spirit. And from an outsider's point of view, you can see there's something special here. And uh, I can honestly say that I'd be nowhere near where I am today with my walk with Christ without you guys coming alongside me and teaching me modeling for me what it means to live a Christian life. So just thank you, all of you. I appreciate it. Uh, much like Sam mentioned last week, I'm here speaking to you today because of Pastor Steve. I was having lunch with him the other day, and topics of the future came up. I, I mentioned that I could see myself preaching someday. Uh, I imagine that as years into the future. But I think about two weeks went by before he called me up and asked if I'd consider praying today. So you get nothing from today's message, you know who to blame, right? <laughs> no, sorry, Steve, if you're watching, but uh, in all honesty, um, I prayed for guidance on, on what to say and, and what message to deliver, and I think uh, the Spirit spoke to me through Steve. Uh, he worked with me a lot on this sermon, a lot of his questions and answers. He didn't want to point me in the right direction, but you could tell he was leading me to where I should go, so um, I appreciate him a lot for, for helping me with that. And then I would like also to shout out Eric Morse. Uh, he was there for support and encouragement as well. Loaned me a book on how to prepare a sermon, and he's always there with advice. So just uh, thank you for everyone that's helped with this. So if I was a full-time preacher, I would have a slick transition right there to lead us right into Second Peter, but I'm not. I'm the new guy, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Second Peter, it's a short uh, but interesting book. It was written to the churches of Asia Minor around uh, 68 or, or 69 AD, uh, near the end of Paul, uh, Peter's life, and um, we believe he was, he was in Rome when he was writing the letter. In his first letter, Peter wrote a lot about persecution. Uh, he anticipated the challenges that our ancient brothers and sisters um, would face near the end of Emperor Nero's reign. Uh, if you recall from Steve's sermon a few weeks ago, Emperor Nero blamed the large part of the destruction of Romans, Rome on uh, Christians. You know, it, it caught fire and burnt down, and, and he blamed it on the Christians of the time without really any evidence. 
And they faced a lot of unjust persecution because of that. Uh, Peter's main focus was on the importance of believers continuing to live as Christ taught, even while suffering unjust persecution. Much like Christ showed us how to live righteously, even while he was facing opposition from Jewish religious leaders and uh, the Roman government at the time. So I kind of asked myself, why would Peter write a second letter to these churches so quickly afterwards? It's just a short time period later. And it would seem from the content of Second Peter that he had reason to warn these churches of another challenge that on their horizon. Uh, this one was primarily of false teachers and heretics in and among them. Uh, after his introduction to First Peter, he starts in verse 3 where it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter starts right away with a reminder that God has provided everything we need to live righteous lives. The following verses in First Peter, or Second Peter 1, I'm sorry, encourage those men and women to diligently work on their own spiritual maturity. They're instructed to add to their faith goodness, to their goodness knowledge, to their knowledge self-control, to their self-control perseverance, to their perseverance godliness, to their godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Peter follows these verses with a reminder that the apostles themselves were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and ministry. They didn't hear cleverly devised stories. They weren't making things up. They were literally telling them experiences that they witnessed firsthand. The miracles he performed, the lessons he taught, and the example he gave of how to live a holy and righteous life. The final verse of chapter 1 says, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here Peter is reminding us once again that all scripture is divinely inspired. Chapter 1 is all about laying the groundwork for where right teaching originates. This provides a counterpoint with which to compare the false teaching that he goes on to describe in chapter 2. Chapter 2 starts by acknowledging that just as there were false prophets during the time of the Old Testament prophets, so too can these folks expect false prophets amongst them at their time. And I feel that this warning applies to us even today. There were false prophets teaching during the time of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Elijah. There were false prophets and teachers during the times of Peter, Paul, and Matthew. And you only have to look around at a, some churches in America today that claim the Christian name to see that there are false teachers and prophets still amongst us today. The danger of these false teachers is they're not an outside force. They look like us, talk like us, dress like us, they probably smell like us. It's hard to spot them. Like a wolf in sheep's clothing, it can be difficult to beware of the danger that they face. Peter goes on in the end of chapter 2 by explaining the tactics that these false teachers will use. Verse 18 says, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. William MacDonald, in the Believer's Bible Commentary, explains it like this. The strategy of these false teachers is to allure people by promising unrestrained indulgence in every form of lust and passion. They teach that since our bodily appetites are God-given, they should not be restrained. To do so, they say would cause severe personality disturbances. And so they advocate sexual experimentation before marriage and relaxed morals after marriage. 
The worst part is that the victims of these false teachings are the people that have already turned from their sins and are looking to Christ. They've had a change of heart. They've decided to turn over a new leaf. And through bad luck or whatever the circumstances, they get led astray by false teaching. Peter explains that it would have been better for these people to have never heard the gospel at all than to have heard it and been tricked into turning their back on it. With that warning and explanation, we're brought to tra- we are brought to chapter 3 where we'll be spending the rest of this morning. Starting in verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Here Peter's already cluing us in how to combat the false prophets and teaching that he warns of in chapter 2. First and foremost, remember the word. One obvious way to key into important themes when studying the Bible is to look for repetition. And the word knowledge, or a variant of it, appears 15 times in these three chapters in their original manuscripts. Peter is stressing how important it is to know the word. For if we can confidently remember what scripture teaches, it will be all the more difficult for us to be led astray by deception. No matter what the world throws at us, whether it's a worldwide quarantine or a politically charged election season, one of the most important ways we can keep on the straight and narrow is to know the word. Next, Peter jumps into the meat of chapter 3. Verses 3 and 4 warn us of what to expect from non-believers. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. We can expect that the voices counter to Christian teaching and values will only get louder and louder. Scoffers could mean that there will literally be people doubting, challenging, and even laughing at the idea of God. We can see this today with atheists or with the general attitude of some liberal New Age Portlanders. Um, We can see this with scientists who will argue that only what we can see in physical evidence and repeatable experiments are things that can be believed in. Less obviously, though, Some of these voices drowning out the Christian message might be due to the circumstances we face as people. Instead of individuals arguing against Scripture or the church directly, we can see other people's agendas drowning out the Christian message. If you click on the news, you might find political arguments for the perpetual battle between Republicans and Democrats dominating the airwaves. You might find nightly reports about the protests against systemic racial injustice happening downtown and then the opposite side people using that as an excuse to riot and destroy. You might even hear voices amongst ourselves that want to continue to rehash the decision to ask Bud to step down or that of opinions about how the new pastor should approach his duties. While some of these things are clearly to be avoided, others are legitimate concerns that have real merit. The important thing to remember, though, is that all of them can be a distraction from the true focus of our lives, the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. His redeeming work on the cross has given us a new purpose, a new vision, a new focus, and we're commanded to devote every bit of our lives toward that. Amen. Amen. 
Verses 5 and 6 remind us of what can happen when we lose that focus, as well as once again showing us how temporary the material world around us truly is. Verse 5 says, But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Life is not about the postponement of the NBA season or who is running with Biden as a vice president against Trump. These things are temporary. They're all falling away. Just as Peter's audience of the time had to deal with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the eroding of Christian safety in the Roman Empire, he's telling them those things aren't important. What is important is to focus on Christ. What's important is knowing the word actively working on becoming a better disciple and helping those around us in their efforts to do the same. For we know that the day of of judgment is on the way. I didn't put this in my notes, but uh, my very first sermon has a lot of fire and brimstone (laughs) coming into it. So, (laughs) yeah, that's how it goes sometimes, I guess. I'm not upset, but uh, picking back up in verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Isaiah 13, 9-11 describes it more poetically. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins, I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty, and I will humble the pride of the ruthless. For those who have not placed their faith in Christ, they can expect punishment for their sins. For those who repent of their sins and trust in the grace of Jesus for salvation, they can look forward to a grand celebration. According to the 2017 American Study of Fears, 20.3 of us, 20.3% of us, sorry, are afraid or very afraid of death. This fear includes a subset, fear of pain and suffering, fear of the unknown, fear of non-existence, fear of eternal punishment, fear of loss, and fear of what will become of our loved ones. Luckily, with Christ, none of these apply to us. We know what we can expect. We know that Jesus was looking out for our family. We know we have continued existence with him forever. We know that of the loss of pain and suffering... We're, we're, we're pretty much set. We can rest easy knowing what will come. Uh, Revelation 21, 1 through 5 says it like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. So, we know what is coming, but the timing is a little bit trickier to pin down. God's timing is nothing like our own. Verses 8 and 9 speak to this. They say, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. 
The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. A fine example of God's timing being his own is when it comes to prayer. I don't know about you guys, but personally, when I'm praying for something, I usually want the answer right now. You know, I'm either suffering or I'm I'm in pain, um, I have a problem, and I want God to fix it immediately. But it's only upon looking back and reflecting that we can see how hard times and, and suffering are an opportunity for us to strengthen our faith and to grow in Christ. When we're in the midst of it, it's difficult to figure out that, hey, I'm growing right now, but if we were to force God into our own timing, we'd never get that opportunity to change. Or maybe God's timing has to do with a small church in Hillsborough attempting to find a new vision. If you think back not too long ago, we met as a body uh, to think and reflect upon our past and what has led us to the point of redevelopment. We started to study things like how to deal with grief, how to help those around us change to more closely resemble Christ while we ourselves are undergoing the same changes. We also studied what it means to handle conflict biblically rather than just sweeping it under the rug. We met again to look at who we are right now as a church, what we value, and what our actions have proven that we care about. We switched over from individualistic ministries to a team-based approach. We then met together a final time to focus on strategic initiatives we can pursue as a body together, such as prayer nights, parental assistance, and community education, and then how we might implement new ministries and help people along their discipleship journey. I felt we were all on board with a, with a high level of energy, ready to get our hands dirty when COVID-19 reared its ugly head. God had different ideas as to what our timeline should be. Looking at where we stand now, you might have been given our church time to help find a new pastor so that we could all work together to lead Alliance Bible into the future as one. I suspect he is using this time as well to prepare the hearts for the people he's bringing to us that we can help disciple them and, and that are ready to hear his word. The only thing we can know for sure about God's timing is what happens at the end and that we won't see that end coming. Uh, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In these verses, Peter is acknowledging to his audience once again that material things are falling away, just like the temple in Jerusalem being destroyed. Churches are facing political challenges. Even their personal safety is no longer very sure. But what is his advice to them amongst these trials? That they live holy and godly lives. It's not the message we receive from American culture. You know, we're told to chase the American dream. You go to college and get married, start a family, get a nice big house with a white picket fence, make lots of money, retire, learn golf, you know, whatever it is you want to do, and have as much fun as you can along the way. While those aren't necessarily bad things, we're called personally to so much more. Make no mistake, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, just as we heard in verse 13. But until that day comes, we're blessed with more time here on this earth. And during that time, we are called to bring heaven to here. Verse 14 says, So then, dear friends, 
Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. If we live like this truly, we could have an incredible impact on the world around us. Ephesians 3.32 says to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Romans 12.10 is similar. It says be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. We have the opportunity and the responsibility to emulate Christ in our day-to-day lives, to counsel and to teach, to heal and to serve, to love and to come alongside others to help them find relationship and salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, just as we have. Peter ends his second epistle by reminding us that we've been warned against false teachers and the fact that there is a time appointed by the Lord in which all will be judged. Because of this, we cannot delay in living out godly lives. There is no pushing it off till tomorrow. There's no excuse for failing to progress in our walk with Christ. So what steps can we take to help us follow Peter's advice? How can we use this message in our current situation? First, we can't get distracted by all the noise. Whether it's the upcoming elections, the nightly news, or grumbling amongst ourselves, we, don't, we can't let that distract us from focusing on the one and only thing that truly matters, the life and work of Jesus Christ. One way to keep focus on Christ is to cultivate a daily habit of being in the Word, for the Word is Jesus. Secondly, just as you guys all discipled me, we have to keep making disciples. Just as Peter was advising the churches of Asia Minor to focus on the word and to be diligent in pursuing their own spiritual maturity despite the destruction and chaos around them, so too must we look to Jesus and continued growth in him no matter the circumstances, circumstances that surround us in our day-to-day lives. We owe it to Christ and to ourselves to keep working on our own development as well as hoping, helping those next to us on their walk with Christ. Lastly, Let's try to recapture that excitement we had for the new direction Alliance Bible was moving towards before COVID struck. Our timing was thrown off, but ultimately the success or failure of this church depends upon us. We are excited to welcome Scott as our new senior pastor, but it is how each one of us contributes to our church that we will determine if we grow or not as a congregation. ABC, much like the audience in 2 Peter, has a great invitation before it an invitation to develop new life in the midst of trials. So let us join hands, join hearts, and come together under this new vision of reaching out to our local community here in Hillsboro with the same mercy and grace that Christ has shown us. We don't have all of the answers, but we do have the people and the courage to step out in faith. We've got new senior leadership now, so let's show him and the world just how much Jesus means to us. With that... I'd like to close us with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for saving us from our old sinful ways, for providing us a means to get to know you and to allow you to change our hearts and minds. I lift up Alliance Bible Church to you to this day. May we be a beacon of your truth in all the noise that clamor around us day to day. May you guide us, give us wisdom, and make it abundantly clear to us when we have the opportunity to share your gospel with those of this community who have yet to hear it. I pray all these things in your glorious name. Amen.